thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's get into the reading of the word. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to be reading a few verses out of Matthew chapter 6. I'm reading the book of Matthew through. Every month, I pick a book, I share it with you, we call it the book of the month. And I encourage you to read through this book of the month. Let it be your course of study. If you don't have a dedicated pattern or plan for study, then your study time probably will be less effective. Try to read through the book of Matthew. Try to let it be your place to put your face this month. It's so awesome to have a daily study time. I want to pull some things out that I've been looking at this week as we study the Word of God together in Matthew 6, 31. The Bible says, Therefore... Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Seek God's Kingdom. Look at somebody and say, Seek pray with me. God, thank you for seeking us. Thank you that when you said there are none that seek God, that you came and you found us with your love and you found us with your grace. You chose us when you said we didn't choose you, God. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your providence, God. I ask you to anoint me now to say the things that would honor you. Give us open ears, God, and a receptive heart. Teach us from your word. By your spirit is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Seek God's kingdom. We're in a world where people, everybody's looking for something. Now, there was a guy, I don't know who it is, don't shout it out, or, you know, people will be like, how, how do they know? Uh, I thought they only listened to Jesus songs. But there, there was a dude that was looking for love in all the what? Wrong places. Everybody's looking for something, but as believers, we've been commanded by God to seek his kingdom. And I want to talk to you about that. In just a minute, but first, I want to remind you, it should be on your hearts because the Bible says that we should learn how to enter into each other's situation. The Bible says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, today, obviously, is the 15-year anniversary of 9-11, and that is a huge event, whether you recognize it or not. That is the largest terror attack on American soil. That is a, a, a time that it's one of those times for this generation, like, well, I'm kind of in that crux because I, I was alive when President Kennedy got shot, but I was in a baby crib. So, I, well, I can tell you, I remember where I was when, when, when Kennedy got shot because uh, I was in a, in, a, in a baby crib. I don't remember being there. But for our generation, 9-11 was, was that moment where people turned on television, people called each other, people wept. It was, it was a huge event. But I want you to realize that people get these huge events in life and last about as long as a cough drop. You know, if you got a scratchy throat, an itchy throat, if, if you got something going on with your throat, that cough drop makes your throat feel good until it's gone and you start coughing again. 9-11 came and everybody swore it was, you know, going to change the world. 9-11 came and... I was, I was glued to the television. I had somebody call me and said, are, are you watching the news? I said, yes. And I was on the phone with a church member. Uh, what was Scott's last name? Coy. He is, Cindy was here today from day one starting the church. Uh, this was another one of the guys. We started with 16 adults. He was one of them. He called me on the phone, asked me if I was watching the news. And because the church, we just started the church a couple months we started the church in June of 01. September of 01 is when 9-11-2001 happened. And we were actually on the phone as the second plane hit the second tower. And everybody in America was freaking out. And everybody in America, everybody was looking for a place. And people were calling, can we meet at the church tonight and pray? And not only did our church open up for prayer, churches across the nation opened up that night for prayer. Uh, we were taught then and told that, you know, over 10,000 children lost a parent in that one day. Now, I live in a home where we lost a parent, and I know how devastating that is on a spouse and on children. 10,000 kids lost a mom or a dad 
in that one day. And if I asked everybody in this room, do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in praying for the hurting? We would say yes. But how much prayer time really went in to this massive tragedy, this largest tragedy on American soil? 11 years ago or 15 years ago, everybody was looking for a place to go and pray. And church attendance skyrocketed because everybody thought, they're coming for us. It's the end of the world. And everybody just flooded into the church in September 2011, right after 9-11, hit for, according to the experts, two weeks. Two weeks over. Two weeks. Every newscast said the same stuff they say on big events. This is a day that will live in infamy. This is a day that's changed our nation forever. America rallied around the flag, around religion. But listen, it never really turned to God. And you rally around the flag. You can rally around religion. You can rally around church. But until you turn to God, you really haven't gotten it figured out yet. Are you following what I'm saying? And so there was a flash in the pan where people had moments of silent meditation for 9-11. Victims of 9-11 lost hundreds of first responders, about 3,000 civilians in that one tragic accident. See, I don't really believe that our nation needs a, a moment of silent meditation. Oh, we could do that. I mean, and I, I would be happy if, I, if schools came back in and, and gave a moment of silent meditation for the victims of this horrific tragedy. But we need more than a moment of silent meditation. We need a full-fledged shift in our mindset. We need an overhaul of this country. We need a top-to-bottom, left-to-right, up-to-down overhaul of this country. We don't just need to tweak stuff. You know, if your car's running good, a little tweak here, a little tweak there, we'll do it. Listen, we're not running well. We, we, we need a complete rework of the whole thing. But what I would like to do, and I, I even hesitate to do this because I don't like to do religious things. I don't like to do churchy things. I don't like to do things just because other churches are doing it. But I don't even know if other churches are going to be doing it. But I would like to, before I get into teaching our text this morning, I would like us to pray together because, listen, I live in a home where very seldom does a day go by and never a week goes by that somebody in my home doesn't cry over somebody that died 10 years ago. Loss of a parent will affect a home forever. So these 10,000 kids that lost a parent 15 years ago, anybody believe they're still hurting because mom's not there? You don't get over mom not being there, do you, Henry? Doesn't matter. How long, how long ago? 2002? Mom, mom, Pat. Oh, okay. Don't mind saying this. When, yeah. Amen. See, in some people's mind, that's a long time. But when you're talking about losing a parent, losing someone you love, that, that, that pain just doesn't sweep off you. And we're talking about thousands of kids, thousands of brothers, tens of thousands of cousins that lost somebody. They, didn't, they weren't planning on losing that day. And I'm not doing this as a religious exercise, and I'm not doing this as a churchy exercise. I'm doing this because they're hurting people out there, and we need to do what we can do. And what we can do is we can pray for them. And I want to ask you to pray with me. Just We're going to have a brief moment of prayer for the people who were affected by this tragedy that America has just glossed over and forgotten about while people are still hurting in their hearts. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we thank you that you are a loving, good, and a gracious God, even in the midst of tragedy. We thank you, God, that you call yourself the God of all comfort. And God, I know for some people, this 15-year event has been a long time, Lord, but I know in the lives of people who lost those that they love, that they are hurting people out there. So God, I ask that you do what only you can do, Lord, that you bring comfort on the inside. God, I pray that you would let hurting people know all around the world that you love them, that you care about them. God, I pray that you would use your children, God. Use us to be extensions of your love everywhere we go, extensions of your truth, extensions of your grace, God. Let us rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. 
Father, I pray, God, that you would let hurting people today know that even if others have forgotten about their situation, that you never forget and that you're there for us and here for us at all times. Thank you, God, for being our comfort. Please reveal yourself to those hurting around the world, especially those affected by this tragedy from 9-11. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you feel led, moved in your mind, when you think, you say, what does that mean, Pastor? You say, God, God moved on your heart to pray for them. When you think of somebody that's hurting, you ought to just take a brief second and pray for them. I believe that's God's way of letting you know, I want you, I've assigned you. To pray for that person, Paul said, as often as I think about you, I pray for you. I thank God for you, and I ask God to help you. See, this is how you pray for people. You give God thanks for them. God, I thank you for Nixa, and I pray that you would help her whatever she's going through. That's how you pray for someone. That's what the Scripture teaches. Thank God for them and ask God to help them. And as you think about things during the course of your day, please, if you think about me, if you think about the church, please ask God to help me. If you think about a cousin you haven't seen in a while, that's God's urging for you to pray for that person. I want us to be a praying group of people. You ought to pray. See, the sad reality is most, check this out, most real Christians don't even pray for the people that live in the same home with them every day. Are you shocked by that? Most real Christians don't even call out the names to God of the few handful of people, now, now some of y'all got too many people living in your home. I understand. You get a hall pass. Hey, listen, you got over eight people living in your house. Come on. Time to move on. Tell, 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 tell them like George told Wheezy. You know, it's time for some of y'all to be moving on up. It's time to go. But it, there are people who don't even pray for those living in their own home. If you don't hear anything I say, if you don't listen to the preaching today, that's fine. But please. Pray for the people you love. You say, well, Pastor, I've been praying for people for a long time, and it doesn't seem to help, doesn't seem to work, doesn't seem to change anything. Just because nothing seems to have happened yet doesn't mean nothing's happening on the inside. You don't know who's being pulled on by God. You don't know who's being affected by your prayers. And listen, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not happening, and it doesn't mean it won't happen. We need to be praying for the people that we love. Can we agree on that? Amen? Let's get into our text this morning and talk about these verses in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said in verse 31, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or how will we be clothed? These are natural needs. Say needs. Everybody needs something to drink. Now, what you choose to drink is, is you know, that's on you. I recommend people say, Pastor, do you drink and drive? I, I always have something to drink in my car. Uh, it's usually Dr. Pepper. My doctor wishes it would be water. Amen? All right, but everybody needs to drink, everybody needs to eat, and everybody needs to wear something on their back. I've told you before, it doesn't matter to me if, if you come to church in, in blue jeans or a suit. It doesn't matter to me what you wear to come to church. Just please wear something. Because if you come naked, nobody's going to listen to the preaching. You can believe some stuff by faith. We don't even have to try everything, right? So everybody has these basic concerns. Jesus understands this, but Jesus is saying, stop thinking about all these natural things. And see, these are the things 2,000 years ago, having read this thousands of times, that the church is still concerned with. People in church are still worrying about, how am I pay my bills? What about rent? What about groceries? Listen. Every one of us needs to pay rent. Every one of us needs to pay the grocery bill. Everybody needs to have something to drink. God knows these things. He went on in verse 32 to say, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, he wasn't being specific about uh, nationality of people here as much as he was about where people's heart is. He's saying people who don't even know God are concerned about these things. These are the things that non-believers concern themselves with we don't have the time right now or probably the honesty for people to really admit if I went row by row and if I started with Jacob right now and I went all the way to the back to Deacon Mills and I said what is the biggest thing concerning you right now a lot of people would just be too churchy so we'll skip over that you know it's what what, what all those uh, beauty pageant girls always say what's what's their biggest biggest concern 
They don't even know, they don't even know five countries in the world. World peace. Well, could you name a country outside of America? Could you name a country in Africa? Could you name a country in Europe? World peace. World peace is not a country. Okay? But we have things that we're really concerned by, and Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, don't be like unbelievers. There ought to be a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. There ought to be a difference in the way we think. There ought to be a difference in the way we live. There ought to be a difference in the way we act. There ought to be a difference in the things that consume your mind and take up your thought time. He said, look, unbelievers are thinking about that, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. If you could get this in your mind. See, phrases are popular in, in 2016. Phrases are popular in this generation. Little bullets, little bite pieces. Why? Because we live... In a world where I don't even know about, you know, I don't, I don't do Instagram, I don't do Twitter. I know they limit the characters you can have. It's like you, all, you have to say what you want to say in a certain amount of time. Y'all know that ain't my thing. I'll talk forever. Don't put me on a limit. But we live in a soundbite generation. We live in a hashtag blah, blah. And that's supposed to mean something to everybody. Listen, God knows what, what we need. We live in a generation where people want to throw quick little phrases and expect you to get it. And some people put a lot of stock in these phrases. I'll throw one at you. I got you. I get that. And, and, and when somebody that I love tells me that, that, that's comforting. Especially if I'm in a situation that I believe they can help me out of. And if I'm sitting there telling you, you know, I got my property tax bill due. $5,761.48, okay? It's on, the, it's on the public record. And I'm sitting there saying, man, I, <laughs> I got to write this check for almost six grand. And you're like, I got you. Right? Where's the, where's the cash? Now, if you tell me that, and I know you're broke as a joke, well, you got me what? What you got? You can give me some water at Burger King. You can go up and ask for a cup of ice. I mean, I thank, I thank you for the, you know, I got you. Well, I mean, now, if you're rolling big and, you know, you're just sitting there counting out hundreds on the side and I'm, I'm sitting there scratching my head and saying, man, I don't know where I'm going to get this $1,500 for. And you're like, man, I got you. And you reach in your pocket and pull out a water can. That's a whole different story. Now, you know, uh, it was about, I don't know how many years ago, it was about a decade ago when on 9-11 some, some crazy preacher in Gainesville threatened to burn a Quran on 9-11. So, you know, I'm representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. This ain't that far away. I'm like, I need to go meet this dude that's out of his mind and ask him why he's pushing hate and not pushing Jesus. And Deacon West like, Pastor, you don't need to drive down there by yourself. Because, you know, this dude might be off. So Deacon West straps on a weapon, drives me down there. And I'm like, well, I want you to stay in the parking lot. He said, well, just know I got you. Something goes. And I'm, that made me feel good because I'm like, I'd rather Henry fight him than me. I'd rather he shoot him and go to jail and stand before the judge over it than me. You know, I got I to call on my life, right? So, I mean, I, I got to be in church. Nick's is like, he got a call on his life too. You remember going down there? This dude, this dude. I go into this dude's office. He got pictures of, 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 of wild stuff, gladiator stuff on it. This dude wearing a gun on his hip. Got all these books about war on his desk. I didn't see no Bible in the whole room. And I asked, I wanted to know. Are you doing these things to show value of Christianity over Islam? Or are you just trying to get your name in the paper? And I'm, you know, a dude tapping his gun while I'm talking to him the whole time. I figure I'm going to go down there and lead this man to Jesus. But this, this, this guy, he, when, when, when Deacon West said, I got you, now that, that, that's a time where that comes in handy. Okay? So we understand these type of phrases. But what I'd like you to get this morning is the concept that God has you. So that's what Jesus, that's the whole, you want a hashtag? 
You want a bullet point? You want something that kids can remember? You want something to throw on your Twitter feed? God's got you. Hashtag that in your mind. See, then you don't worry so much about food, clothing, and rent. If you, I, I guarantee you this, people have traveled out of town. I, I, I just keep picking on Deacon West. Deacon West has flown out of town with me. He's, he's traveled with me. Deacon West doesn't have to worry about lunch money when he's with me. If I ask him, come with me on a trip, and he, 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 we go to pick up a car at the car rental place. Now, he knows he's probably going to be doing some of the driving, but he ain't going to be doing none of the paying. Okay, because everybody does what they're there to do. And when we travel together, now he'd be more than happy to buy a meal and, and, and all that. But listen, when you're with somebody and you know that they've got covered certain things for you, you don't have to worry about it. Now, I'm going to give you an etiquette lesson. I'm going to give you an etiquette lesson. If you, go, if you go to lunch with me, if you go to dinner with me, I'm going to pay. Probably. 9,000 times out of 9,000, Okay. Why you go with 9,001? But it's, it's never bad to, to say, can, can, can I help you with that? I, I almost, that's just an etiquette lesson right there, okay? But it, <laughs> and listen, if you know they're paying anyway, that's an easy offer, right? <laughs> right? If, if, I go to, if I go to lunch with somebody, some, some business leader from Jacksonville asked me to you know, meet him at the university club, meet him somewhere, and they're going to buy me lunch, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Uh, how, how, much, how much do I need to get? Oh, I have that. And I'm like, I wasn't really getting in my pocket. <laughs> you told me you had it before we came. So there's a comfort level in knowing that somebody with resources tells you I got you somebody with physical strength tells you I've got you somebody who's capable tells you I got Jesus said y'all studying all this stuff and God's got all that under control your father knows that you have that I'll tell you something my kids might get concerned enough to say hey dad we're out of Sonny D right but when we go up into Walmart to buy our groceries, Pastor, you shop at, yes. All my groceries, well, I shop at Publix. What's well, nudie too for you? Hallelujah. I wipe the dust off the top of my, my can. It's the same can, amen? Cheaper. Hey, they're rolling back prices, and I need all the help I can get. But I have never had neither one of these two boys sitting on the front row feel like, I wonder which one of three of us is paying for the Walmart bill. <laughs> you think we ought to start counting up coins? Did you bring your wallet? 218, going to Walmart for a gallon of milk. $211 later. Because, you know, you got to buy some blue jeans while you're in there. Got to get some underwear, whatever you got to do. And I'm not looking around saying, come on, y'all divvy up. Because they know when we step to the cash register, we eat out every day. Because I told y'all, I bless people by not cooking. So my children and I, I'm single parent, my children and I, we eat out every day. Now, they have joked around before. You know, and they'd be like, I got this, Dad, until they look at it. You got, listen, God has you if you love him. Now, see, some people falsely believe that God's got everybody. Some people falsely believe that everybody is a child of God just because they're born in America, or everybody's a child of God just because. I, I had somebody tell me that God is the father of all souls this week. That ain't true. Now, all souls belong to the Lord, but God's not everybody's father because Jesus said some people, their father is the devil. I'm going to keep moving. You know, some, one of them might live in your house. You know who they are. Hallelujah. Everybody, don't, everybody that's saying Jesus, everybody's claiming the name of Jesus, not truly saved. And Jesus knew that, and God knows that, and the Word teaches that. But I want you to get that if you love the Lord, that if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, there are things that you ought to be able to count on God for. King David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. You're like, well, I'm, you know, I've been feel, I feel forsaken, and I, I have to beg to get what I need. Well, then you might be able to look for that one word 
in there, you missed out. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Let me say it to you in a way everybody can understand. Get your act together. Bread will follow. Let's talk about this thing. Verse 33, Jesus said, but it's a transition. Unsaved, unbelievers, they're worrying about natural things. Believers ought to have a different mindset, a different set of values, a different outlook on life. He's talking to his followers. He said, but seek ye, you, not what everybody else is doing. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and listen to the promise. And all these things shall be added unto you. All what things? Needs, natural stuff, things that people sitting around scratching their head about, $5,800 property tax bill. Y'all think I'm mad about it? Yeah, I am. Hallelujah. <laughs> Living in a paid-for house, paying property tax on a pay. That's a different time, for, different message. Listen, God knows what you have need of. And if you'll put him first, things will fall in line. This is what's wrong with most people's life. This is what's wrong with everybody coming to counseling. This is what's wrong with people whose lives are falling apart. Pastor, I just don't understand it. I just don't know why. I just don't know why. You reading your Bible every day? No. You paying your tithes and offerings? No. You, 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 you singing worship songs to God every day? No. You serving in ministry at the church? No. You don't understand why life's a wreck? What kind of picture you want me to draw you? We, we need extra sketch? We need a flannel graph? When you paint by numbers, Jesus said, put God first, put God's kingdom first, put his righteousness, put what God values at the top. Everything else in life will fall in place. Put what you value. See, we talk a lot about how to understand the Bible at Abundant Life. We're a Bible church. We value the word. The Bible says God's elevated his word above his name. Jesus said that everything in the world would pass away, but his word would last forever. Well, you need to learn how to lean on the word. And the word tells us a lot. And some things it tells us directly and other things it infers. All right? So we talk about different principles of how to understand the Bible at Abundant Life. One of those principles is inference. Well, there's something that's being said here, and there's something that's being inferred here. Jesus said, but if you put God first, if you put his kingdom first, if you put his way, his, what he says is right first, all these natural things are going to fall in place. All these things are going to be added to you. If putting God first... And seeking God's kingdom causes everything to fall in place for you. Guess what's going to happen if you don't put God first? It ain't going to fall into place for you. You're going to scratch and you're going to claw. You're going to try to make ends meet. You're going to look at the budget and say, but it works on paper. We're supposed to have enough money to pay all these bills. Well, the Bible says if you don't pay the tithe, you try to add that money up together, God will blow on it and money will make itself wings and fly away. People giving God what's left over instead of giving God what's first. You give God what's first, everything else will fall into place. The righteous don't beg for bread. Because God don't forsake those that have their priorities in the right place. Now listen, God loves you enough to let you struggle if you get twisted. Like, Well, I just love my kids. Some of y'all need to let y'all children skin their knee. You know how you teach a child to ride a bicycle? You put them on it. Sitting there drawing diagrams, talking to four-year-olds about this is how you do You put them on that bicycle. You take them training wheels off. You walk with them till your legs get tired. And then they look back and you ain't holding them no more. And then they fall down and scream and holler, you let go! Come on, I'll do it again. Come on, let's couple skin knees later they're riding tough love is absent in this generation some of y'all bailing y'all's kids out every time they they fall in the ditch Cedric he get crazy at some point you got to tell her we can't bail him out this time baby he just gonna have to scratch and claws on way up listen if if kids stop being thankful if kids stop being grateful if kids stop listening to mama and daddy and they can't make it on their own, they're just going to be on their own. Let them be out there. Sink or swim. You know how the baby bird learns how to fly? 
Didn't make it. Better have another one. Plenty to adopt out there. Don't struggle. Listen, foster parent is a beautiful thing. Tell them, Jeff. Listen, I'm not saying forsake your children, but I'm saying as long as, as, long as my kids' priorities line up in the right place, they're going to be fine. They get their priorities out in the wrong place. They get to feeling grown. They get to feeling themselves. Are you grown now? Grown people pay bills. Grown people deal with grown stuff. If you stay dependent on God as your father, you get to stay in the child seat the whole time. In the child seat, let daddy take care of everything. Don't get too grown on God. You find God sitting on the porch. See, the Bible has the answer for everything. When, when the parable of the prodigal son happened, which really is more about the faithful father than it is about the pre, uh, prodigal son because there's two brothers in there. And when the, bro, the young boy gets to feeling himself and he leaves home, talks bad about daddy, takes daddy's money, and goes out there and fails, daddy didn't run out there and catch him, grab him, scoop him up. Daddy's sitting on the porch, and the child came to himself and said, I need to go back to my father's house. Because it's better over there than it is over here. Listen, you don't hear anything I'm saying. You need to be the child and let daddy take care of stuff. But we got to have our priorities in the right spot. We got to stay lined up under God. We got to let God be in charge. It's just like any other family. You, you stop letting the parents be in charge. You ain't good for the home no more. All right, let me get off that. Some of y'all children don't ever want to come back to church. It's all right. Y'all know me. I don't care. Truth, truth what? Anyhow, I'm going to tell the truth. Let it fall. Hey, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that hollers the one you hit. If I'm talking about you, I'm talking about you. Ain't no mystery. I can't believe. I think he was talking about me. Sure was. Why? If I... If, if you got a booger hanging down your nose and I say, you go, yo, you, mm. Is he saying I got a booger? Well, hey, you rather I don't say? Let's just keep it real. Talk about Matthew 6. Jesus is telling his followers, listen, you don't have to worry the way other people worry. You ought to have a different set of priorities and you ought to have a different set of responsibilities and you ought to have a different alignment when it comes to the way you look at life, Jesus said, seek first. Say first. We got to put first things first. We got to talk about putting God first. Now, we know that Jesus said to seek ye first the kingdom of God, but do we know what the kingdom of God really is? If I took the microphone right now and I walked up to you and said, give me a 37-second speech on uh, a biblical discourse on what is the kingdom of God, go. How many verses you got for what the kingdom of God is? We're going to talk about the kingdom of God for a few minutes, and we're going to get out of here. The phrase kingdom of God is found in the King James Version and in several different translations over 68 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. It's not just a one-off. Don't do one-off theology. Don't, don't take one verse of Scripture and base your whole world on one verse of Scripture. Proper theologians follow what's called the bulk text theory you need to have lots of scripture surrounding your belief system there's a lot of bible that talks about the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is found over 31 times together these these phrases are found about a hundred times in the bible and most times they're interchangeable most times when you read the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven it's usually talking about the same thing in luke 7 28 the bible says i say unto you among those that are born of women there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Matthew 11, 11 says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not arisen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Luke said, kingdom of God. Matthew said, kingdom of heaven. There's some slight variation. Kingdom of heaven is more of a Jewish way of saying it, and I've told you Matthew was a Jew that wrote 
to the Jews. He preferred kingdom of heaven over kingdom of God because he was writing specifically to Jewish readers who did not like to use the word God. Okay, that's why sometimes it says kingdom of heaven and sometimes it says kingdom of God. You find Jewish people, they don't speak the name of God out loud. They don't write down the name of God. They don't try to stay familiar with the name of God. Uh, and that's why Matthew preferred the term kingdom of heaven. If you ever wondered why sometimes it says kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, you're like, Pastor, I ain't read the Bible enough to even know. Okay, well, read the Bible. It's in there. The Jewish custom was to not refer to God directly but refer to him by the place where he lives or by something that he's doing. So Matthew typically said kingdom of heaven. Other writers said kingdom of God. But we've got to seek this place. Listen to me. There's a place called kingdom, and you need to find it. Because Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom. He didn't say seek God. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, God is mixed in there with it, and there's a purpose for that, but you got to understand kingdom. How are you going to search for the kingdom? If I tell you, you know, go search for Orange Park, you can find that. If I say go search for the kingdom of God, if you don't know where to look, then you're going to have a difficult time in finding it. I want us as individuals to learn how not only to seek the kingdom first, but to live on a kingdom level, because Jesus contrasts kingdom living with natural living. He contrasts kingdom thoughts with natural thoughts here. And there's a way to rise above the natural. And here's the problem with most church folk. Most of us do everything we do in the natural. We don't rely on God. We do it our way. We do what we want to do, say what we want to say, dance how we want to dance, play how we want to play. We do everything that we, listen, I can preach in the flesh or I can preach in the spirit, and you will seldom know the difference. Singers can sing in the flesh or sing in the spirit, and you will seldom know the difference. God will always know the difference because God sees kingdom. And mostly we see church and we see people, but we got to learn how to see kingdom. I want us as individuals to get on a higher level. I want us corporately to get on a higher level, not just church. we got to get beyond Sunday come to meeting and Wednesday midweek Bible study. Because, listen, if all you have is church without Jesus, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Paul said that if there's no real resurrection, that we're the most miserable people on the planet. You're telling me you gave up drinking, whoremongering, fornicating, and getting high? And still going to die and go to hell anyway? It's a bad plan there somewhere for somebody. If you're going to sacrifice things, you mean you choose to be kind to people that are mean to you? People slap you, cuss you out, you turn the other cheek and bless your enemies? And you pray for those that use you and you don't get to go to heaven at the end of that? That's not a good plan. But I'm telling you that a lot of people going to church that aren't going to make heaven in the end. Because all they have is religion without a real relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that's the real difference between church and kingdom. Anybody can come to church, but you've got to be a true Christian to live inside God's kingdom. Anybody can be religious. Anybody can take on religious trappings. You can teach yourself to read the Bible, to say prayers, to come to church, but you really got to have Jesus on the inside to operate inside God's kingdom. But we got to understand what kingdom is. Uh, many years ago, about nine years ago, I taught a series on kingdom. You get it. All my sermons are available for free online. Uh, you know, I hope that you're getting on the website. We had, um, I think, 60 or so countries last week on our website downloading sermons. Almost, I, I read the list to my kids, and they're like, is any country not on there? I mean, any, any country that you can think of off the top of your head is coming on the website listening to the sermons. I want you to listen to the sermons. But about nine years ago, I did a series, talked about the kingdom of God, and I taught then that it is, there's a duality taught in Scripture, twofold nature of the kingdom of God revealed in Scripture, that the kingdom of God is a present reality, and it's also a future hope. Put that slide on the screen for you. It's a present reality and a future hope. If you study Scripture, 
you will find out that there is this future hope of living in God's kingdom. And that's what most people think of when they think about, you know, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. One day I'm going to be in God's kingdom. Well, the Bible also teaches that the kingdom is among you, that the kingdom is present now. So the kingdom is taught in a duality in Scripture as this present reality and the future hope. This future when the kingdom will be realized in fullness is when Jesus comes back. But the kingdom that John the Baptist taught, the kingdom that Jesus was talking about when he talked about those in God's kingdom would be greater than John, the kingdom that's among us right now is something that we need to learn how to operate in today. You need to be walking in the kingdom. You need to be talking in the kingdom. You need to be living in the kingdom. And I want you to get it in your mind how to do it. Listen. To what the word says, Matthew 12, 28. But Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. That's present tense. Jesus is saying there is a kingdom of God that is active right now. There are people in this room that operate on a kingdom level inside of God's kingdom and other people that operate on a natural level outside of God's kingdom. In Luke 17, 21, concerning the kingdom, the Bible says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's present tense. That's right now. You can tap into God's kingdom right now. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't have to wait till the next life to be in God's kingdom. You can be in God's kingdom right now, or you can keep living in the natural. I'm going to give you uh, some, some real good advice right now. You'd be better off living on God's terms than your terms. You'd be better off existing, thinking, having your thoughts and your mind and your hopes inside God's kingdom than inside this natural world. But it's a present reality, and it's a future hope. It, it's here, it's in us, but there's also a coming kingdom. Kingdom teaching is the heart of the Gospels. We're studying the Gospel of Matthew this month. Jesus was constantly, when he taught, he talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I'll throw some quick verses at you and we'll go. Mark 1, 14 says, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached what? The gospel of who? The kingdom of God. Matthew 4, 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 7, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus comes preaching, saying the kingdom of heaven is here. He tells us as we go to preach that the kingdom of heaven is here. Luke 4, 43, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I'm sent. He said, the reason I'm here is to preach to people about the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When Jesus sent out his followers, he didn't say, go out there and preach Jesus. He said, go out there and preach about the kingdom of God. Because there is this place of crossing over. There is this place of crossing out of the natural and into the supernatural that most church folk never get. And that's why some people think church is boring. That's why some people think praise and worship is, hmm. That's why some people don't connect to the heart of God. That's why some people don't get anything when they read the Bible. That's why some people don't value prayer because they're approaching God on the natural and they're not approaching God in the spirit world. So what is this kingdom of God? First, it's a place where God is ruling. Anywhere where God is ruling, that's where the kingdom of God is. Because every kingdom, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. All right, now here's the answer. The answer starts with K and ends with ing. Okay? Every kingdom has a what? Some of y'all slow on the uptake. Let me ask this side over here. Every kingdom has a what? It has to have a king to be a kingdom. So a kingdom is a place where God is ruling as the king. So you got to ask yourself, is God ruling in my home? If God is ruling in your home, your home is the kingdom of God. Is God ruling in my mind? If God is ruling in your mind, your mind is the kingdom of God. Is God ruling in my heart? If God's ruling in your heart, your heart is the kingdom of God. 
is God ruling on your radio station? Well, let's be getting personal now, Reverend. Any place where God is ruling. Kingdom is a place that's ruled by a king. Webster says it's a territory subject to a king. The American Heritage Dictionary says it's a realm or sphere where one thing is dominant. That's what a kingdom is. It's, it's, this, it's this realm where one thing is dominant. And in Christianity, when we talk about this one thing, this one thing is God. Now, if you had to boil your life down to what one thing is ruling you, what one thing dominates you, for some people it would be fear, anxiety, nervousness, depression, money, lack of money, debt, sports, family, relationships, friendships, anything that is highly valued in your life is subject to knock God off the throne. Because the Bible says that God should be higher and exalted than anything. Don't put anything close to where God is in a ruling level in your life. One thing in your life needs to be dominant, and that's God. And that just can't be in your mind. It's like, well, you know, I know I drink, cuss, smoke, lie, steal, cheat, uh, hate everybody. Uh, don't do nothing good, but I love the Lord. <laughs> he heard my cry. <laughs> what? That's rhetoric. That's lies. That's just you fooling yourself. Where, what is the dominant thing about you? What, what, what is the thing that dominates your life? So the kingdom in this capacity is not so much a place to find as it is a life to live out. It's not so much something you'll find on a map as it is something you walk out on a daily basis. Because I told you, the kingdom can be your house today, but not tomorrow. But then again, the next day. Because you know righteous people fall down, but they get back up. See, the Bible says that a righteous person falls down six, even seven times, but he gets back up. But an unrighteous person falls down and lays down. You know the difference between righteous people? You want know the difference between real Christians and non-Christians? Real Christians mess up a bunch, but they get up and they come back to church next week. And they keep on plugging. Fake, phony, lying, half-stepping, unsaved jokers, they fall down and they sit at the house and they badmouth everybody and talk about why church don't work for them, why religion don't work for them. And everybody at that church just as sinful as me. Nobody ever said they wasn't just as sinful as you, but they're still stepping into the kingdom every day while you're sitting at the house on, on, on scotch and, and bad whiskey. Is he talking about me? Yeah. Again. It's not a geographical place. It's, it's, it's not a, a place to find as much as it is a place to be lived out. See, our journey is not to the kingdom. Our journey is in the kingdom. We don't want to walk and say, okay, I'm going to go all the way over here so I can get to the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God is right here. Get in it now. It's not somewhere you have to walk to. It's somewhere you walk in. It, it's not somewhere you get to and then God finally takes over. You give God control now over everything you let him rule reign and have his way now over everything and you're there that's why jesus said the kingdom is already among you it's in you but you got to manifest people are trying to get to a destination not realizing that they could already be there because it's part of their journey you got to find out is god actively ruling your life right now or you want well you know once i Get off all these habits. Once I get my life right, once so-and-so, once I get past this, then I'm going to give God his way. Well, you're walking in the natural world. You're not walking in the kingdom. And the kingdom is not a destination that you're finally going to get to. It is a determination that says, I will let God reign right now. This is the kingdom of the Lord. If I ask the question, are you walking in the kingdom of God? You can only say yes if God is ruling in your life. And that cannot be ideologically. That has to be practically and experientially. There has to be some proof text to your concept. 
You can't just say, oh, yes, God's ruling in my life, really. Uh, how, much, how, I mean, how many days a week do you read the Bible? Oh, uh, two or three. That's not ruling. How many days a week do you watch TV? Oh, I watch TV every day. Well, TV's ruling in your life. Uh, how, much, how much time do you, do you spend in prayer? Oh, I, you know, a little, a little bit. Well, how much time do you spend listening to music? Oh, music's my life. Well, then music's ruling in your life. Ooh. How much time do you spend worshiping God and singing songs to God versus how much do you time spend on the Internet? Well, then the Internet is ruling your life. See, we're all guilty. We, we all can let other things get in front of what God should be at the front of. We all can let other things be dominant in our life, myself included, and every other body that names Christ. But we've got to make a choice to say, I'm going to scale back me, and I'm going to scale up God. I, I'm going to let me decrease, and I'm going to let him increase. See, that's how you step out of the natural, and you step into the kingdom. I said the kingdom of God is a place where God is ruling, but secondly, the kingdom of God is a place where God is at work. It's a place where not only God is ruling, but a place where God is working. There's a song, I don't remember who sang it. I think it was Ron Cannoli sang a song, Don't You Want to Be a Part of the Kingdom? Come on, everybody. Y'all don't remember that song? Well, y'all need to get some good music. But you should want to be where God is. I, I told you the kingdom is a present reality and a future hope. One day we're going to go to heaven, and that's awesome. But you ought to want to be where he is now. You, you, it's awesome to have God for your hope in the future, but you ought to want to have some help for today. And that is available to you if you let God go to work in your current situation. So you ought to be able to, or at least desire. Some of y'all went in church, you know, back in the day when we, we were singing certain songs, but some of y'all remember that song, and he walks with me and he talks with me. That's kingdom. That's God working in your life. Most Christians or most people that come to church, they don't experience that. Some real Christians don't ever even experience that to a place where really God becomes active in their day-to-day -day life, where God is ruling and where God is working. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's a place where God is active, where God is working. A great book came out years ago. You should go through it at some point in your life. Go through it again if you've been through it. A book called by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And he said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You, you don't have to find something new for God. Just find somewhere that God's working and jump on it. You don't know where to work in ministry? Show up Saturday to food and clothing. You, you, don't, you don't know what to do next in life? Open your Bible and jump right in. You need to stop trying to wait on some big flash bolt of lightning for God to hit you out of the sky to say, now's your time. See, that's the current foolishness. It's my season. Huh? It's my season. And then people say, well, it's just not my season. If you're saved, it's always your season to be saved. If you love God, it's always your season to be, to be following God. So the kingdom is a place that's ruled by a king, and it's a place where God is at work as the king. It's a place where God is ruling and a place where God is working. I hope, even if you're not sure how much God is dominating your life, I hope even if you're not sure how much God is ruling in your life, you can honestly say, but I know he's working in my life. Is he at least working in your life? Is, 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 he, is he tugging on your heart about some things? See, because you're in trouble when God stops tugging on your heart about some things. You're in trouble when God stops dealing with you about some things. You, you're far off onto the side at that point. When, when you're not touched by, by your own stupidity anymore, when you just go do you and, and not feel any conviction about that at all, you can go out and act outside and contrary to the things of God, and you don't even feel God tugging on you, your heart and your mind, then, then you, you better get go talk with somebody. You, you better find out how you got so far away from God because you're not in kingdom and you're really on the edge of destruction. Different message for a different time. But if God is ruling in your life, if he's working in your life, you're walking in the kingdom. Here's my punchline. I'm done. If you want to walk in God's kingdom, you need to do two things. You need to bow and you need to yield. You need to bow to his authority in your life. 
you need to recognize that he's God in your night. You need to bow and you need to say, God, I know that you are more important than me. I know that you're God. You don't need to bow. See, and if you're bowing to anything else, you can't bow to God. The word makes that clear. If you're bowing to friends, if you're bowing to hobbies, if you're bowing to sports, if you're bowing to addictions, if you're bowing to other people, you can't bow to God. God said he doesn't take divided loyalty. You need to bow to God alone. You need to put God high in your mind and in your life, and you need to bow to his authority in your life. And then you need to yield to him so he can work on you. See, everybody claims that, oh, God is God of my life, Reverend. God is numero uno. Ichi. Throwing Japanese at y'all, man. Y'all show some respect. God is Ichi. God is number one. Everybody would tell you that. Okay. But is he... Are, are you not just saying that, are you allowing him to operate on you? Are you yielding to him? You say you bow to him, but are you yielding to him? See, everybody might be able to say, Ray Ray, best mechanic in town. You see a mechanic? Got to go to Ray Ray. Well, Ray Ray ain't messing with your car until you go and hand him the keys. You can talk about, man, I'm, one day I'm going to let Ray fix this transmission. Well, your transmission ain't going to be fixed. Until you actually hand him the keys. So you got to hand the keys of your life to God. You got to yield to God. And you got to let him operate on your life. Until you put the keys in the hand of the person that can fix your situation. You're still messing with your own stuff. You can pretend to bow to God. You can pretend to bow to God in your mind. But if you, whether or not you yield to God, that shows up on a day-to-day basis. Do you yield your time to God by turning off the TV and reading the Bible? Do you yield your time to God by getting off the Internet and spending time in prayer? Do you yield your heart to God by singing songs to him that tell him you love him? This is all practical stuff. And you either do or you don't. See, that's the thing about it. It's like being pregnant. You is or you ain't. I'm just tired of talking to people like, are you a Christian? Well, I'm trying to be. You're either in this or you're not. And if you are a Christian, Jesus said, stop thinking about all this natural stuff and seek God first. Seek God's kingdom first. That means seek a place where you let him rule and you let him work. He's got to reign in your life and he's got to work in your life. So we need to bow down to the authority of God and recognize that he's the king. This is where Americans fall short because we have not been taught royalty in this country. Other countries recognize sovereigns. They have no problem with it. You go to other countries, some some ruler walks in, people respond differently. Military teach you that. You're sitting around at your desk, your feet up on your desk. Officer walks in, you got to stand up. Give him greeting of the day. You just sit there and act like I'm here like you're here. A superior officer walks in. You must respond. Too many Christians claiming that God is the authority in their life, but they're not responding. we got to get to the place where we're giving God the keys. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want you to know God knows every need you have. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you need more friends. Maybe you need more sympathy. Maybe you need more empathy. Maybe you need more money. Whatever it is, God knows what you need. Jesus said your heavenly father knows what you have need of. But you got to put him first. If I had the answer to your problem in my pocket and I said all you have to do is say good morning, you'd be right to say good morning. God has lined out for us what he expects of us. And I'm going to tell you this as I'm done. Too many people are blaming God for their own jacked up life. I don't know why God let it get like this. 
God didn't have nothing to do with it. Did all that on your own. You stepped out there. You went outside the kingdom. You, stepped, let, you stopped letting God rule your life, and, and your life got upside down. God didn't mess that up. Why would a loving God allow blah, 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 blah? Well, because hateful people make their own determination, and they run away from God. But if you will run back to God, and you'll put him first, you'll put his authority first, you bow to him, you yield to him, then all those things that you think you have need of, then you'll be one of them people coming back on testimony night. See, some of y'all never even seen Sunday night or Wednesday night in here where we take time and we just let people say how God's blessing their life. And every week we hear somebody say, Pastor, things are just falling in place. It's just like I had all these things in front of me and it's just God's just like dominoes, man, just knocking them down. One by one. Why? Because when you get your mind, your life right, put God first, you let him rule and reign in your life, things start falling into place. When you step out away from that, life's going to get shaky. Get under the umbrella of God and stop complaining about the rain. Has God ever been first in your life for real? You need to surrender to him and allow that to be so. Only two types of people in the world, theologically. Saved people and unsaved people. If you're here and you're saved, you need to let God be number one. Not just in your mind. Number one over your time. Number one over your actions. Number one over your thoughts. Number one over your behavior. Number one on your radio dial. Number one in your checkbook. Number one everywhere. King. Got to surrender to his will, to his way, to his word. And know that he's in charge, not us. If you're here and you're not saved, the Bible says that every knee at some point is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you have an opportunity while you're still drawing breath to call on the name of Jesus. And ask him to be your God. He said, if you call on me, I will save you. I'm not going to have a big time dragging people down this aisle. The Bible says if you want to be saved, call on the name of the Lord and he'll save you. The Bible says if you are saved, confess your sins and get right with God. We need to do that. Too many people in the church backslidden. Some churches preaching backsliders aren't saved anymore. God said he's married to the backslider. To, you say, well, what's a backslider? A backsl anybody that's not as close to God. If there was ever a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now, you've slidden back. And I want to encourage some of y'all to front slide today. Church is talking, I made that word up. You ain't heard that word nowhere else. I made that word up. That's an exclusive. Too much backsliding going on by Christians. I'm going to give you permission today to front slide. Slide back toward God. When that boy came to himself, after he left daddy, the prodigal son, he got his life all messed up, slopping hogs in a pig pen. And he went to go back. He had a speech worked out for his dad of shame, guilt, and blame. He already had rehearsing it on the way back, coming up the driveway. I'm sorry, Dad. Can I just please be a servant? Can I just live out there with... Soon as his dad saw him come with a humility in his eyes, he stood up and he wrapped his arms around him. He said, let's have a party for my son because he's back. You need to let God throw a party for you. You need to let God open his arms wide and receive you and say, I'm glad you're back. See, that father, he'll let you get out there and wallow around. But if you would just move in his direction. If you would just step to him, he will stand up and he will open your arm, his arms, and he'll say, come in here and let daddy hug you. That's the God we serve. We serve a God of love and kindness and grace and unfailing forgiveness. But too many people backslide. The church needs to front slide. Don't wait until life deals another 9-11 tragedy for you to get serious about God. Don't wait for something horrible to happen for you, for you to start praying about stuff. Let God rule in your life now. That's how you seek the kingdom, by letting him be the king. 
That's how you seek first the kingdom, by yielding to his authority. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to say what he tells me to say. I'm going to live how he tells me to live because he's the boss. And I want to make him proud. Jake prays every night that God will help him be a better Christian. So that God and his dad and his mom be proud of him. You ought to want God to be proud of you. I'm not talking about working your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. But I'm talking about a real love for your father. Every good daughter wants daddy to be happy with her. Every good son wants dad to be proud of them. It's my goal to pastor a group of people who are walking in God's kingdom. Not perfect folk. Jacked up folk. Failing, falling down, messing up all the time folk. But folk that will dust off and stand back up and say, I'm here again, God. Hold my hand and let's walk. That's what God wants to do. He wants to walk with you. He wants to walk on your journey with you. And then you can say, the kingdom of God is in me. And it's right here. Things are better in the kingdom. God knows what you need. You just got to get your priorities in the right place. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for loving us the way you do. Thank you for always greeting us with open arms when we front slide. Forgive us for backsliding. Help us, God, to recognize your authority. Help us to exalt you as king. Help us to get our priorities right. God, we believe your word that everything else will line up if we'll seek you first. So we set our hearts to do that now, today. And we ask you to guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.